Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In one of the greatest college football bowl games ever, three thrilling plays capped an historic win over a heavyweight program. And we have the quarterback of that Cinderella team right here. It's time for the College Football Legends Podcast. The players. We're going to hit somebody and we're taking down the field for a touchdown. I guarantee you that. The coaches. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The plays. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. And so much more. College football legends. Heroes come and go, but legends live forever. Believe in college football legends on the Believe Podcast Network. I am Chris Smith. Every season, an underdog shocks the sports world. Look, Major League Baseball is in full swing. Plus, the NBA and NHL playoffs are in overdrive. So our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Sports are back, my friend. So it's time for you to take full advantage and get in on the action. Bet Online has hundreds of odds, futures, props for you to bet on. Plus, there's a casino as well. And the best part about it, it never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. It's the only place to go. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And a good bet to get the W over the years has been the Boise State football program. The Broncos boast a 731 winning percentage. That puts them at number one among all the FBS schools. Their bowl record ranks 20th in the nation, including one of the greatest finishes in college football history as the Giant Killers took down Oklahoma in the 2007 Fiesta Bowl. And we have the man who was under center for that historic matchup and more, Jared Zabransky, Boise State legend. Thanks for joining me, Jared. Uh, thanks for having me on, Chris. So, Hermiston High, you were an accomplished three-sport athlete and won the Eastern Oregon's Male Athlete of the Year Award. Why did you choose football over basketball and baseball? Well, it was, uh, it was kind of a numbers game. You know, my ultimate goal and, and dream was to be a professional athlete. You know, growing up, my favorite sport was whatever sport I was playing at the time. So, <laughs> exactly. Um, and and I really I really think that's the, the best way to go is to to be a multiple sport athlete. I've got young children, and and my son plays multiple sports. I'm I'm not a big believer in the one sport, and uh, you know, only focusing on that. I think the other sports develop the different motor skills and and different hand eye coordination, and different movements, and allow someone to to see the field or the court better because of you know the different movements and, and different strategies within each game. So I believe it makes a uh, more well-rounded athlete. So, um, you know, I, I sat down with my three high school coaches and, and it was uh, something that they put together and they, they said, Jared, what do you, you know, what, what do you want to do? And, and I told them, I said, I want to be a professional athlete, you know, and I, I love all, all those sports and, no, I, I wanted to play basketball in college as well. And I talked to Coach Graham at the time. Um, they had asked me to walk on and try out for the basketball team as well. And I got a, a sit-down discussion with my head coach at the time, Dad Hawkins, and said, you know, if you want to be the guy here, you, you've got and, – and this was a little bit different from what they told me on my recruiting trip. But oh. ultimately, it, it turned out okay. I'm glad I put in as much time as I did behind the scenes there, you know, training and, and watching film and – 
and uh, you know it's on my football grind. So you never know if, if things would have changed a little bit. You know, if I don't throw the interception in the fourth quarter, we're not talking about the Statue of Liberty and the and the uh, hook and ladder. So you know, you, you just don't know how things would have changed. So I'm, I feel blessed and lucky that things worked out the way that they did for sure. So you made your way to Boise State in redshirt in 2002 to back up Ryan Dinwiddie in 2003. How tough was it to sit, and what did you learn? Well, we had that. That was kind of my expectations, Chris. It was uh, here's been the track record over the last several years with the quarterbacks, and and Coach Pete had done a you know a really solid job of kind of shaping my expectations. Said, hey, we've got a guy, you know, and and uh, you know when I was going in, Dinwiddie was. He was a sophomore in my senior year in high school, so my redshirt year he was he was a junior. Um, so I knew that you know the opportunity really was there. He started as a sophomore, so I knew the opportunity was there for me to start as a sophomore and, and potentially get some playing time as a freshman. And then when he got hurt, uh, his junior year he broke his ankle, so that forced B.J. Rohde, our backup quarterback, into the starting position for it was about six weeks. And I was battling uh, another true freshman, Legadu Nani, who became a, a really close friend and is a lifelong friend now. But he came in as a quarterback as well, and he ended up playing, uh, switching positions, playing receiver in the NFL for several years. Just a great athlete. So he and I were battling for, you know, what would be at the time the fourth spot. Then when he gets hurt, so they we travel with three. I'd beat Legadu out, um, so it pushed me into the third spot. And so I'm on the travel squad and, you know, kind of immersed into it rather than taking the, the generic red shirt kind of role and, you know, kind of sitting back in the wings and forced me to, to get in there and learn the system quite a bit quicker than a, a typical freshman would that's, that's red shirting. So it was, it was kind of a blessing in disguise for me. Um, you don't want to ever want to see anyone get hurt, but it, it really worked out in my favor in order to get more playing time as far as reps that meant something in practice. Um, it forced me to go in and, and study the film of the opposing teams and, and you know, just become a college quarterback that much faster. Well, become a college quarterback faster you did. You take over the reins as the Broncos starting QB in 04, leading the team to an undefeated regular season. That's not a bad impression for the blue and orange. What stood out from that magical season? You know, just our coaches and Chris Peterson, especially. Um, just to yeah, who was our offensive coordinator at the time? Yeah, he was, and and he was my mentor and, and my positions coach, and you know, he just ton of respect for him. He really, really preached and, and practiced what he preached, but he he talked about you know practicing towards perfection. And we, we had perfect practice Thursdays is what we call them. And, and it was, we don't execute a, a rep perfectly. And, and Thursdays are, you know, you're going about 75%. Um, but, but everything as far as your mental side of it and the execution on the looks that you get and the reads that you need to make and the throws. I mean, we were throwing, you know, 40, 45, 50-yard balls down the field. And you got guys that are, you know, scout team guys that have seen it all week, but they're still needing to marry the sure, offensive the guys, the yeah. receivers. So you gotta you gotta throw the ball and, and you gotta you gotta execute properly and you've gotta do things to a level of, of excellence. So that was the example. Um and, and you know, we knew that perfection 
is nearly impossible to to achieve. But at the same time, if you drive towards it, you got a good opportunity to a really viable opportunity to to do something great. Yeah, pra- and practice you know, how you're going to play. Eleven and oh. That's exactly right. Perfect preparation prepares for perfect performance. That's the five P's is, you know, I still kind of live by that, and that's uh, it's a it's a pretty neat deal. But um, we go eleven and zero, and we played in some really really close games, and you know you learn a lot from those close games, and you know ultimately if you lose, you you learn the most from that. You, you take it away, but we we didn't wait on losses to to learn. We beat ourselves up pretty good when when we didn't execute a play correctly, and you know, and, and that was just that was just ultimately the mentality that we had was we wanted to be perfect, and you go eleven and zero, and you play a, a damn good team in, in Louisville and the and the Liberty Bowl, and, and we learned a lot from that entire season. Yeah, it's your only loss, but you still uh, garner. Honorable mention, All-American by Sports Illustrated, second team All-WAC, and voted as the team's MVP. Your redshirted uh, junior season had some ups and downs, but the Broncos finished 9-4. and four. Did you feel like there was unfinished business going into your senior season? Oh, absolutely, Chris. I mean, it was, you know, there was a lot of things that I learned that I, I was able to take away from that junior season. You know, you mentioned some of my high school uh, credentials there, and I'm you, you went way back in the, <laughs> in the archives to find that stuff. That's pretty neat. But um, you know, I didn't I didn't really struggle in, until my junior season of college football. You know, high school athletics. I mean, we played in a decent conference, but high school athletics are you know at that level when, when you're a pretty good athlete. You know, you, you're not facing a ton of guys. You may get one or two guys that are guys that are close to your level um, that you're playing against, but ultimately you're not really facing guys that are going to give you tough looks or a bad game. So I, I didn't really struggle. I mean, you come out a sophomore season, like we did just go gangbusters, you know, it wasn't a false sense of security or reality, but you know, I was kind of on top of the world and, and I might've bought into a little too much and, and didn't, I, I don't think I focused as much on what got me there and continued to improve on those things. I might've rested on my laurels a little bit. I mean, I, I worked my tail off, you know, I mean, we trained, we, we did the preparation for the summer and, you know, and I grinded, but I just, I, I lost focus of detail. And, and I think that was the biggest thing that, that changed for me. Your focus heading into the final year, you named one of the best QBs in the entire country by the sporting news. And you were also on the prestigious Maxwell award list that season. You go undefeated capturing Boise state's fifth consecutive WAC championship. Plus you were on fire finishing with 23 touchdowns and only seven picks. Some of the Broncos key wins came over some big Pac-10 teams. What was it that made it all come together? It was, it was a culmination of a group of seniors who bought into a culture five years prior and learned a lot from a, a junior season that no one was happy with. And we worked our tails off that summer with a direction in mind of, of doing something great. And I mean, I, I feel like we've been through pretty much every side of the coin and, and every, you know, we've, we've driven down every corner and, and it's just uh, about 20 guys who knew what they were capable of. And then also you've got to have some pretty stinking good talent to go undefeated. <laughs> and, and I think a lot of people didn't realize how talented that team was. But if you look back at it, I, I mean, we had 12 guys from that senior class signed with NFL teams and, I think we had four or five draft picks. 
and then a myriad of young guys who, you know, were first rounders. So, I mean, we had some dudes that could play. I mean, we just didn't have the depth of the big schools, but, and then kind of perfect storm, you know, we get some breaks, you know, throughout the season. Uh, we go down to San Jose, uh, Ian Johnson has a big breakout year. Our offensive line's great. He gets a punctured lung. I'm playing through chicken pox with a 102 degree fever. Oh. And, and we, we get a, yeah, as a 23 year old, it, it was, it was horrible, but you know, you, you get some breaks late in the game and we end up getting pretty lucky on a two point conversion, a two point conversion that I'm throwing and we've got kind of receivers in the same area and it goes over one receiver and, and Rab makes a great catch in the back of the end zone to get us into overtime. I mean, you, you have to have so many breaks late in the se- or throughout a season and, and late in games like that in order to go undefeated. We are speaking with Jared Zabransky, quarterback of one of the greatest college football bowl games in history. And you were talking about your mentor, Chris Peterson. It was his first year as the head coach. What was his coaching style like? So I think what's really made him what made him great, and I don't know if he's done coaching. He's retired now but um hopefully not you know, done I, for I good see, yeah i don't think so i think he'll be back somewhere chris but what's made him great is he's so, such a big culture guy and he talks about the importance of culture but he also practices what he preaches he he's a big say do ratio guy if he says he's going to do it he, he does it and when you're trying to implement especially in a transition period when you're trying to implement a new culture like they did at Washington with him. There's no way that's going to get executed unless the person that's talking about it actually lives that culture and exemplifies it. And he's just, he's just amazing at that. There's not many, not many people in the world. The longer I live, the more I see the other side of it, the people say that they're going to do things. They just don't do it. And he's one of the the most amazing uh, coaches that I've ever been around. Yeah. Well, that's why he's the first two time winner of the Paul bear Bryan award. And let's get into the 2007 Fiesta Bowl, pitting you against Big 12 champs, the eighth-ranked Oklahoma Sooners with Adrian Peterson. Many saw that BCS Bowl game as David versus Goliath, even though the Broncos were ranked ninth in the nation. What was your team's mindset going into that game? We felt pretty confident, Chris. We, we thought that we had an excellent game plan. We, we knew that you know they had a ton of talent. We were definitely not strangers to the seven national championships that they had and just a myriad of of great athletes that you know adrian peterson getting ready to come back for his first game in a while we knew he was going to come out like gangbusters and so we had a we had a really strong game plan to shut him down and a really explosive offensive game plan i mean we've we would go into to games with you know practicing you know you saw three trick plays at the end of the game but we would have a myriad of misdirections or what we call them gadget plays sure and then we'd have you know, for every look that, that we've seen on film, we'd have several ways to beat it and then different variations. And then you got a fifth-year senior who's, you know, Coach Pete let me open up quite a bit as far as the playbook is concerned. And we had, you know, several series of, of check-with-me's and audibles. I think we did a good job of executing those throughout the game as well. And, you know, you just we, we felt confident. We felt like we had a, a better coaching staff, believe it or not, that was able to plan. And, and we felt like we had, you know, 25 guys that could compete with anybody. Yeah, well, you get rolling early in that game, drawing first blood on a 49-yard touchdown strike. You take a 28-10 to 10 lead in the third quarter. Did the Sooners just look shocked? Yeah, I mean, it, it, you could really, after score number two, you know, we hit them with a, a bootleg we ran like a 25 counter Cobb and go, which is a comeback and go on the outside with Dryson James. And 
we executed the play fake in the backfield really well, and it gave me a bunch of time, and my offensive line sealed it. He had like eight yards on the guy, and they were just kind of out to lunch, it seemed like, a little bit in the beginning. And we hit that. It doesn't take a, a great throw, but I throw a decent ball, kind of turns it around, he catches it and scores. And then literally two plays later, we get the ball on their 12-yard line, you know, we get a strip sack and then score with Ian Johnson. And, and when we scored on that play, you could just see, like, it was just deflating in the headlights. Yeah. Oh, they, they didn't know what the heck was going on. <laughs> well, they did rally and they scored the next 25 and Oklahoma regains the lead 35-28. But now you're facing that fourth and 18 with only 18 seconds left on the clock. Tell me about the hook and lateral known as circus to the Bronco faithful. A last gasp. For the Broncos. Branski's legs might be critical here to save time on throwing the ball. Down the middle. James. The lateral. To the corner of the end zone. Can you believe that? Yeah, so it was, it, uh, the, the name, I don't know if you knew this, Chris, but the name came from just the fact that we'd run it and it would turn into a circus. <laughs> like, I don't look like a circus. And it was definitely Ringling Brothers. It was it never was executed properly in practice, ever, oh, no. not a single time. And you pulled out <laughs> at the most important time. In, in our history as a, as a program, yeah. Who, who knew, right? So we, actually, Chris Peterson, about four weeks prior, had changed the set. So we used to run the hook guy, used to be our number two receiver on the three-receiver side. Okay. And we run the lateral guy thinking, you know, he was coming from the single-receiver side. You know, it would be a pitch to Dryson. And thinking that, okay, we've got now we've got two blockers over here, and Dryson can run behind the blockers. And Chris said, well, what if we run the hook to the single receiver side because the majority of the defense is going to be on the three receiver side? And then we'll run number two, Jared Rab, on the lateral. And then, as you can see on the play, Ryan Clady gets out pretty quick from the from the left tackle position, yeah. and Ian Johnson and myself are extra lateral guys as well. So as soon as I throw it, uh, Ian Johnson's out right away on a swing to kind of hold the outside linebacker. And then I'm running right behind him as extra pitch guys. And so I'm seeing everything that just a huge hole to throw into and a pitch to Gerard Rabb. And I'm, I don't know, I'm probably five yards behind him yelling, pitch it, pitch it, pitch it. <laughs> but he's out, he's out running the TV. So good thing he didn't pitch it. But no, it was uh, the, the great thing about that play was when I called it, you know, as a quarterback, you got to go into the huddle with the utmost confidence, or else you, you guys aren't going to walk to the line of scrimmage. Sure. Did the eyes go wide in the in the huddle? No, no, that was the thing. I mean, you could tell. You know, I could tell that guys were kind of like, "Well, what the heck, this this play?" But <laughs> everybody was focused. You know, and, and you know, you talk to some of those linemen. Uh, you know, Cavender and and Jaden Daly and and those guys, and and they'll tell you like. No, that, that play never worked, and we didn't know it was going to work or not, but they went to the line of scrimmage and executed it, and that was kind of the deal for us. You know, a bunch of guys that uh, were overachievers and would give anything a try. Oh, I remember it well, and then you not up that score 35. Let's head into overtime in truly one of the most memorable games in college football history. Boise wins a toss, elects to play defense. Adrian Peterson scores on the first play of OT, putting the Sooners up 42-35. Take me into the huddle. It is now fourth and two. You guys love fourth downs, huh? For the Broncos on the five-yard line. Okay, so we had went to the sideline, and we were 
talking about, we had talked about several plays and it's fourth down and I'm wanting to throw the ball. It's sure. you know, fifth year quarterback. And we're talking about giving the ball to Vinny Peretta, a freshman to, to make a throw uh, in, a, in a really, really tight situation. You know, there's not going to be much room for air. Crucial kind of situation. Drop it over. And there's, there's a ton of, there's a ton of things that he needs to sell throughout the play. Uh, Vinny had been a great player for us all year, and he's, but I wasn't too happy that you're going to take the ball out of my hand. And uh, fortunately, Shu was able to sneak out towards the corner of the end zone. But it was uh, it was definitely not my first choice for a play. So my job was just to get out of the you know during the count. It was a silent count, and I was in motion towards the sideline. So I was just trying not to get a, an encroachment call. <laughs> and I, you know, as I'm looking down the line of scrimmage. I started to lean a little bit, and I'm thinking, snap it, snap it, snap it. I'm not going to be able to hold this much longer. And fortunately, I held it just long enough. Yeah, just long enough. Vinny Perret is a converted wide receiver in the backfield. And he's behind center, and the quarterback, Zabranski, is in motion. They do this a lot. Perretta to take the snap. He's going to throw it to the end zone. Touchdown! If that wasn't thrilling enough, instead of the extra point to tie, Chris Peterson pulls out another play. Go for two with now the infamous statue left. Boise State for the win. They hand it off to Johnson. Boise State has won the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. Can you believe it? How did that play get drawn up? You know, that play was a staple for us since before I, I was there. And and it was the, the reason why that play was able to be what it was and we were able to execute it so well with the ball handling change that was made that year. Uh, you, you've seen the Statue of Liberty from pretty much the dawn of time of football where the quarterback just stands there with the ball and the running back grabs it out of his hand. Yes. And the, the guy's just standing there like a statue. And we, we had done like pump fakes with the ball, like a mini little pump fake and then a turn in hand. But about halfway through the year, Nick Lomax was our fourth or fifth quarterback in our depth charge, a young kid, freshman. And Nick's dad was Neil Lomax, who you might remember with the Cardinals for several years, sure. quarterback. So big, big guy. So Nick was six foot eight, huge hands, and he was just messing around with some ball handling stuff. And he said, Well what if we kept it in our left hand and faked like we were throwing it with our right and then, you know, the handoff behind the back and <laughs> You know, that, that's pretty slick. He says, Z, could you do that? I said, well, let's try it. You know, and you go back to the question about, you know, high school sports. I, I would do the behind-the-back passes quite a bit, so I felt confident in being able to hand something behind my back or throw it behind my back. So we started it, and, and every time, you know, I was t- telling you about perfect practices, you know, we would get the scout team one or two times on a play, and then pretty smart kids, they'd see it, you know, point, hey, look over here. You know, this is what the play is going to be. They'd see by a set or by a motion. Sure. And we practiced that 50 times throughout the year. They didn't see it or get it once. Wow. So we knew we had something great. So and go every time, every time. This is very different than the circus play. This worked every time. So when we ran at week probably five or six again or seven against Idaho, they actually fell into stopping it. We got like 10 or 11 on it. But they, they busted their coverage and had an extra guy back. They didn't go with a corner over, which we game plan corner over okay. just due to our set. So when we wanted to you know execute it during the game, there were a few different things that throughout the game that we had learned 
you know, that Oklahoma Some had game plan against yeah. us. So every time that we'd break the huddle quick with our receivers, all their attention would go out to the receiving core because we would throw a bubble or a quick screen. And we would run a hurry up out of that. So we didn't have a statue left as a hurry up play. So we said, hey, let's let's get this and break the huddle quick with the receivers, get their attention out there. Sure, set so, them up. And, and then it was don't trip them, make sure we don't fumble it and, <laughs> and make sure everybody's set and we don't get a false start. So all the things that you think about on a regular basis when you're when you're trying to execute a play, just execute it and pay attention to the details. And that was you no know, big deal for us that year, I think, especially for myself, you know, was just getting back to the simplifying football, getting back to the focus of the details and, and you know, you break you break football down that way. And you don't think about it as a hundred yard game. You think about it as, you know, you want to get five yards on first down and, and how do we do that? And, and that's really what allowed us to, to be as successful as we were that year. And, you know, ultimately took us into that last play. Success it was. You shocked the world by winning 43-42. What was that feeling like post-game? Oh, man, I was on an eight-month roller coaster, Chris. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was pretty euphoric, really. I mean, it was a culmination of lifelong dreams and goals and, and you're able to achieve something at the highest level that you believed in and no one else may have, but that didn't matter. So it was a feeling of bliss, which quickly turned into we want to play one more game. We feel like we should be playing for the national championship. But you know, who, who knows what would have happened then, but that would have been pretty neat to have that opportunity for sure. Yeah, definitely. We'll get into that BCS in a minute as we are speaking with Jared Zabransky, Boise State legend. So talking about opportunity, uh, the G5, let's talk about the group of five and the teams that get the Rodney Dangerfield treatment, no respect. Do the G5 or mid-major schools get enough credit? You know, I think it's getting better, Chris, but I, I, it's still going to be, there's still a stigma there and there's still, you know, it, I think until we stretch the playoff system a little bit more, I think eight teams would fulfill getting a G5 or a non-Power 5 school in there. I think that until we see that, you're just not going to get an opportunity to see G5 team uh, play at the highest level in the in the playoffs. It just takes too many variables. Sure, well, because I mean, the BCS era was filled with controversy. Your team that year did get a first-place vote in the final AP poll of the season – and like you said, it really sparked the uh, college football playoff debate. Do you think you could have beaten Ohio State or Florida that year when they were ranked one and two? You know what? We we felt confident that we could play against anybody. And, you know, I think I said something to the likes of, hey, let's, let's strap it up again next Saturday after the game. But we felt like we had 25 guys that were as good as anybody's 25 guys. Now, where we ran into issues was with depletion or injury or you know, when Oklahoma or uh, Florida or Ohio State would probably have two cycles of D linemen or 10 D linemen or running in, you know, different sets of different looks of, you know, several DBs or linebackers in, we, we just weren't able to do stuff like that. But we had we had a hell of a squad and we felt like we could play against anybody. And I think you uh, were able to see that with the game against Oklahoma. You know, you just never know. You yeah. never know. And we, yeah and we would have liked that opportunity for sure. Well, maybe they'll open up those playoffs to get some more teams in there. Uh, switching gears a little bit, Broncos Stadium's famous blue turf was installed in 1986. What are some of the challenges and advantages playing on the dubbed Smurf turf? Well, there wasn't too many challenges. 
outside of the occasional hoax that you'd get with a bird dead on the field. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you get, you get pretty used to That's it. That's not the sky. <laughs> it's not, it's not, uh, they get the inverse relation and they, they think it's water sometimes. But yeah, no, exactly. It, it, it wasn't too challenging. Your eyes get used to it um, after about two weeks. And we practiced on it a lot. So we were pretty used to it. I, I think for opposing teams, it was extremely tough just because you don't, you, you're not used to playing on a, a blue field. Sure. And then we would run with the solid blues out there, which that wasn't the easiest for, for an opposing quarterback to pick things up if he's not used to playing on a blue field. Yeah, blending in. Uh, yeah. And, and this happens to quarterbacks. You don't see sometimes and you're looking one way and you should be making a real linebacker when you're looking at a safety. But I mean, I saw a couple of throws that were just dead in the chest of, <laughs> of our linebacking core. And it was like Derek Anderson made one in 04. That was just, it was like, how do right you not him. see that linebacker? <laughs> they had Corey Hall just, just dead in the chest. So, uh. I mean, it, 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 it made things tough, I think, for some guys coming in. But they, they certainly use that as an excuse for sure. Yeah, I'm sure. But off the field, one of the most talked about moments was with you and Kirk Herbstreet. In the interview, you tell him you could throw a potato 100 yards. Is this an urban legend? Chris, you're going archives deep, my man. <laughs> uh, when did you start launching no. fruits and vegetables? <laughs> uh, there, there, were, there were no other fruit, no other vegetables, no other fruits that I threw. Um, I mean, I guess I did chuck some watermelons as a kid, but it was. Uh, I grew up on a potato farm, so things would get pretty slow and boring, and I would try to practice my accuracy and I'd try to throw potatoes at our trucks that would be heading back out to the field. And I'd, I would try to hit the, I would either try to hit the, the cab of the truck or the bed of the, the semi. And it would, uh, it didn't result too well most of the time because I would be hitting the window and scaring the crap out of our drivers. But it but helped with your accuracy. That, it, it did. It did. It paid off. It paid off. But he asked, well, how far do you think you can throw one? And it was just Kirk just baiting a young kid. Sure. Um, so I, I played along with it. And it was like, you find a little potato that's like the size of a baseball. <laughs> so I simulated it to throwing a baseball. And I could throw a baseball from home plate at, at our field over our left field wall, which is like 325 feet. Wow. So, so I had a potato pretty strong throwing a baseball. So, that, so I just assimilated it with that. And that was, that was where that came from. Little wow. did I know. Kirk would be telling the world. Yes. And it'd be on a video game the next year. Exactly. So pretty fun. In, in college football lore. 16 years later, Chris, we're still talking about it. <laughs> well, I'm glad I brought it up then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's time to go. Y'all ready for this? Three and out. Three lighter questions to close out the interview. First off, it's been reported that Hollywood is looking at a major motion picture about the Broncos' 2006 season. Who would play you in that movie, or who would you like to see play you? Oh, man. I think, you know, I've, I've been asked this question, but it's been over a decade. And at that time, I'm a big Matthew McConaughey fan. Oh, there you go. Um, I think he would have been a good one. He'd probably still be. Yeah, we're, we're removed now. Uh, several years. It'd probably need to be someone that, I guess, looked a little bit younger. The decent um, confused back, McConaughey or a, a, a later? <laughs> no, nah, a little bit later McConaughey. I mean, college was fun, but not quite that bad. <laughs> yeah. And second, you graced the cover, like you were saying, of EA's video game NCAA Football 2008. 
Did you ever play as yourself or only as another player? So you know what it was pretty cool. EA sent me um, several games that their software engineers made um, that were special that had our Boise State Fiesta Bowl team on it. No, oh, nice. And then they they put me on it, and I actually broke it out and was playing. I linked it up, and it was like a PlayStation Three, I think. So I put it in for my son, and he, little does he know because he's college EA Sports college football hasn't been out for a long time. Sure. It's pretty much our only reference to that game. So like the, the announcers are saying Zabransky drops back and it's got, you know, I'm like a 99 and he's like, dad, this is pretty cool. <laughs> and little does he know that that's not, that wasn't a common thread. So we, we got some pretty uh, special things out of that deal for sure. Oh, that's awesome. And finally, I'm a foodie and I've only been to Boise state once, unfortunately, if you were to point me to one place to chow down in the area, what would that meal be and where would it be at? Oh, you de- it's it's got to be at Chandler's Steakhouse. And Chandler's is uh, definitely the the nicest restaurant, um, best food in Boise. But I've, I've traveled. Uh, I haven't been out of the country this year, but I've been to 30 countries. Fortunate to, to travel quite a bit. And Chandler's is one of the best restaurants in the world. And it's just it's phenomenal. I mean, it, get a fillet or, or a fresh piece of fish that they've flown in that day and have a cocktail before you do so at the bar. And, and if Rex is running around, ask for Rex Chandler and he's, he's the owner and, and a friend and, and he'll come up and greet you. And, and it's just, it's just a great experience there. So definitely Chandler's Steakhouse. Wow. A resounding endorsement. Hopefully I can get out there. We've been speaking with college football legend Jared Zabransky. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Chris. Thanks for listening to the College Football Legend podcast. Tweet your questions at The Sports Jesus. That's at The Sports Jesus. And join us next week because it will be legendary. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.